Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside virtually Patrick Williams from the AHL.com as always. And today we're joined by Brennan Brisson of the Henderson Silver Knights to start things out. Brisson has recorded 28 points in 48 AHL games in what has been his rookie season with Henderson. Last year, he finished off his second year with the Michigan Wolverines and actually had a chance to represent USA at the 2022 Olympics. Before Michigan, he spent some time in the USHL in Chicago, some U.S. prep school hockey with Shaq St. Mary's, and he's also the son of NHL super agent Pat Brisson. Brendan, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. Does he, your background looks like you're just any other Canadian city. Is that the, what is that, the Henderson practice rink? Yeah, it's a uh, lifeguard arena here, so it's uh, it's pretty new, actually. It's it's really nice. we got two new facilities in the Dollar Loan Center where we play our games, and then uh, here in Lifeguard where we have uh, you know our, our practice facility, and they're uh, both really high end. Pat, take notes. For those watching the video, that's what yeah. a real ranked background looks like, Pat. Come on, man. Yeah. Look at the effort he's putting in. <laughs> we got a cartoon behind it. But yeah, Brandon, we're super pumped to have you. Just to start things out, what are the highs and lows been of your, of your kind of first year pro so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I feel like for uh, me and our team, it's it's kind of been a high-low year for us. Uh, me personally, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I missed probably 20 games through injury, COVID. So, uh, you know, that, that sucks, obviously, in your first year when you're starting to get your feet wet, you know, being, missing a few games for injury and, uh, you know, other illnesses. But other than that, you know, uh, I, I've learned a lot. And I, I could say, you know, I feel like I'm a, a lot better player than I was last year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for our team, you know, uh, last 10 games here, just, you know, try to finish the year off on a good good note. And, um, yeah, it's kind of been how the year's been going for us, a lot of ups and downs. Growing up with your father and being so plugged into the game, what were some things going into your first year pro that you kind of always knew that maybe other, you know, peers didn't in their first go of pro? Yeah, I mean, just being around the game a lot, you know, and watching games and, uh, you know, being around guys that have played, I, I feel like the, you know, the number one advice is, uh, you know, it's not a marathon or it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and, you know, kind of just trying to get better every single day and, you know, trying to learn something new every day and uh, work on your game, you know, work on being a better person uh, uh, away from the rank. And I feel like, you know, uh, that's what my dad has been, you know, teaching me and my brother from a young age. And uh, yeah, it's definitely came in handy uh, for my first year here. You know, playing for Manny Viveros as your head coach, your first real pro head coach, he's obviously very popular uh, with his players, but kind of what, what is he like behind uh, behind the scenes that maybe we don't see here in the public? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's an unbelievable guy. Uh, he's he's really easy to go and, and talk to, to, you know, even if it's not about hockey, just about life. And uh, I feel like he's really made it easy for me to, uh, you know, ask questions or go to him for, for anything really this year. And, uh, 
you know, I like having him behind the bench and, you know, on the ice running our practices and stuff. Uh, you know, he holds, holds me accountable, holds all, holds the guys accountable. You know, uh, I feel like that's really important and, you know, all, all the guys respect him. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, he's, he's gone through a lot the last couple of years and, uh, you know, just seeing him at the rank every day with a smile on his face, uh, trying to get us better, trying to make our team better is, uh, it's been really cool and important for me as a young player to develop and, uh, you know, for our team. What are the points that Manny really hones in on with both you and really any player on that team? The the ones that are like non-negotiable for him. Yeah, definitely. uh, You know, details, uh, you know, knowing the systems, uh, there's no excuse for that, especially with all the, you know, prep our coaches give us here and uh, you know, just managing the game, managing the puck. I feel like that was a big, uh, you know, uh, focus on me this year, you know, you can get away with stuff in college or in juniors or, you know, even back when I was at Shattuck, but, you know, it's a pro pro level hockey now. And uh, every shift matters, every play matters. Cause you know, you mess up, you could, you know, you could lose the game from that. And uh, I feel like, you know, my growth away from the puck has been, uh, you know, good throughout the year or yeah, throughout the year. And uh, he has a, you know, really big part in that. You know, the team got off to that real slow start at this, you know, in October, November, uh, you managed to pull yourselves back in the playoff race, but, you know, really for maybe about the past month or so, you've kind of been in these one game after another, where it's almost a must win situation. What's it yeah. like dealing kind of with that constant, uh, you know, night in night out type pressure? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we got a close group of guys here and uh, no one's going to be quitting on each other. So, you know, uh, whether we're, you know, statistically out or, or we're not out, there's a chance, you know, we're all we're all going to play, uh, you know, these next games like, you know, like it's the beginning of the year. You know, we're playing for each other, playing to win. Uh, you know, there's a lot of jobs on the line out there. And uh, if we just, you know, stick as a team and, you know, play these next teams, 10 games out hard, uh, you know, it'll look good for, for all of us. And what's been – you know, coming into the pro side of the game, what's been some of the biggest mental adjustments in thinking that you've had to make? Uh, definitely, like, I mean, I feel like, you know, in college, you uh, have the whole week and then you play mm-hmm. two teams, you know, you prep for that team. Now it's, uh, you know, you go play Tucson on the road one night, then next night you're playing the same team back at home. So it's just I feel like the travel's been uh, a little different than normal, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I definitely have gotten used to it pretty easy and, you know, just taking care of your body is really important just because of how many games you're playing and, you know, all the practices and workouts that we have and, and the travel plays a big part in it too. So uh, I feel like that's probably been the biggest obstacle, you know, off the ice, just, you know, uh, adapting to the pro game. So as a child growing up, were you a Kings fan, a Ducks fan, a Habs fan, or like, I know you liked Patty Kane growing up, but what was yeah. your team if you had one? Uh, I love the Kings, you know, I always – always cheered for them. I mean, especially, you know, when they were going on their cup runs, right. Just, you know, seeing how much it, uh, played impact in the, you know, in, in Los Angeles for, for young hockey players. And, you know, it really gave us motivation to, you know, okay. Like, you know, hockey's starting to get big here. Like I want to represent, you know, come, I want to be the guy coming out of California, be the guy coming out of Los Angeles. You know, it's not too many of us. And, uh, yeah, definitely the Kings. I, I liked watching, uh, you know, Patrick Kane and Sidney Crosby, but no, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, not a bandwagon. So uh, I'm going to stick okay. with the Kings. Fair. So yeah. you mentioned like hockey in California. 
your dad was there when it was like the first when he first moved there it was like the first bit of even you know hockey yeah. in california but when you're growing up playing it actually turned to get pretty good i was curious like growing up when you're with the junior kings did you ever go to travel tournaments and play against other mm-hmm. state teams and like did you guys fare well against them like what what are your takeaways from the way hockey in la was when you were in your adolescence yeah i mean growing up i feel like you don't really know any better all yeah. of our parents were from you know canada so we all played right. all played the game and uh you know we yeah like the competition we had actually our my age group was really good we had the junior ducks you know coached by uh craig johnson and you know cam york was on that team ryan johnson uh you know Nikki Robertson was on my team, Jackson Lacombe, Drew Hellison, Dustin Wolf, all these guys. So it's 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 kind of cool seeing uh I mean, I'm I'm thinking on the spot there's probably some guys I'm missing, but uh you know, my age group was uh, you know, we were really competitive. So when we went and played against teams, you know, from Detroit or Chicago or even in Canada, like we would do really well and uh you know, I, I feel like teams weren't really expecting us to uh, be as good as we were back then when we would go play them. But uh, yeah, like we would win some big games against those teams. And I remember like, I feel like we were ranked always like top five in the country and uh, us and the Ducks. So there was two California teams that were ranked pretty high growing up. And it's cool to see all the guys I grew up playing against, playing with, you know, making the pro debuts and all that. So that's definitely uh, grown since I've been there and, I still follow it. You know, I still practice at the Junior Kings rank and part of the Junior Kings family forever. You know, your father represents a lot of NHL players, the likes of John Tavares, Sidney Crosby, Patty Kane. But is there any one player associated with your father or not that throughout your life you've had a close relationship with? And, and who is that? Yeah, I mean, definitely like as a kid, like, you know, uh, all these players that you meet kind of just think it's normal. I mean, for me. But, you know, it kind of took me a little bit to realize, all right, like not every kid has this opportunity. So I feel like I I really took advantage of it and, you know, getting to know the guys and having those relationships. Like uh, I feel like, you know, Patrick Kane, Tavares, definitely Tavares has been like a big part of, uh, you know, my life. Like I spent a week or two at his house this summer in Toronto. And, you know, it's funny because – back when he was my age, he was staying at my house in the summer. So times have changed. And another guy, uh, you know, I didn't really know as a kid, but uh, probably the last four years has been really good with me is uh, Tyler Toffoli in Calgary. You know, he used to play for the Kings, so he still lives out there just training with him in the summer. And, uh, you know, I feel like he's been a really good mentor for me. Were you playing mini sticks with Tavares when he was at your place when he was 17? (laughs) Yeah, we had some mini six tournaments. When those guys would come to the house, I, all my friends would come over. They probably got annoyed by that. But, yeah, we'd play them in mini sticks. Uh, I remember Crosby and McKinnon, all those guys. It's kind of weird talking about it now, like just looking back how you know special it was. So uh, we definitely had good times on the mini stick arena floor, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Before I throw it back to you, Pag, I have to ask this. What is the biggest secret you've had to keep so a move that was about to happen or something you overheard in the car from your dad and they were like brendan you cannot say anything for the next 12 hours come on give me something uh i don't know does it <laughs> or is there any moment where you, where we'll you it, like we'll keep it a secret we'll keep it we'll keep it a secret <laughs> you don't have to say it but do you have one in mind oh uh, yeah probably probably <laughs> yeah right, 
recently. So, uh, <laughs> you were kind of an insider without being an insider. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess. <laughs> to watch the full-length episode and explore past episodes on all our shows, go to THN.com slash podcast. You know, go from, you know, a minor minor hockey goalie to what he is now and, and what makes him so good when you face him every night? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen, you know, I've seen him at every level that he's played with or played at, you know, whether it was, I remember he's from San Jose and he, him and his family uh, moved to Hermosa beach, California to play for the junior Kings when they were like 10, eight. So it was a pretty big investment investment for them when they were younger and when he was younger and, you know, it just, how serious he took the game, even when we were like 10, like, it was literally just video games and hockey and Jonathan Quick. So at a young age, he was he th- his name was like Junior Quickie. So he really looked up to Quick. Like he'd go to the Kings practices, watch Quick, you know, practice. And she's maybe looking back. I thought it was a little crazy, but obviously it's paid out. And then, uh, you know, I was able to play with him for the first time again at uh, World Juniors. And, you know, I think he had he was 2-0 and in that tournament. Him and Spencer Knight were unbelievable for us. And he was the same, you know, staying. The bus was waiting for him because he had to stretch after practice and all that, you know. And then uh, just playing against him. My first, my first pro game, three pro games actually were against Stockton, and he played one of the games, and you know, I, I, I scored on him, so I was giving it to him a little bit after the game. And knock on wood, every time we've played against him, I've, I've got a goal on him. So uh, we got a little competitive uh, friendship going on, me and Wolfie, but. You know, every time I see him, it's it's kind of like we're hanging out when we were 10, like same guy, same same dream. And, you know, uh, one day he's going to be a really good goalie in the NHL. You know, with Henderson, you've been, you know, at different points playing with Jamel Smith, who came over in a trade last month. Uh, he's kind of a different player from you. He's very straight line, power forward type. Uh, what do each of you bring out in each other's games? Yeah, I mean, uh, since we got him, you know, we've I played with him and we we've been having really good success together. And uh, I feel like Smitty's, you know, he's obviously really experienced. He's went on two Stanley Cup runs with uh, Tampa Bay, and you know, he's got two rings, so uh, that's pretty cool for him. But you know, right away we kind of got along off the ice, and before we even knew we were playing with each other. And then you know, when we start playing with each other, uh, he's a player that you know he can make plays. Like he's always looking for me I'm always looking for him and you know he's really easy to read off of and uh yeah like he can go to the dirty areas like he's just an all-around player like you know guys are scared to play against us because you know if he's the first one in the pile and you know he's he's pretty scary to, I feel like to go against in a fight or something and he's always winning his battles uh, always keeping up you know keeping the guys up in a good mood on the bench and uh, but for me, I feel like why we're clicking is because his hockey sense and, you know, his ability to create offense, we really read off of each other really well. Are there any parts of your game that, you know, you know, were, you know, areas that, you know, like worked for you in college that when you got to the pro game, you realized pretty quickly, like, hey, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to kind of go back and find something else that works. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like for everyone, everyone has something. But for me. Uh, especially like, you know, at the beginning of the year, kind of just, you know, every shift matters and, you know, I could go out and dominate for a shift and then, you know, be quiet the next shift, maybe get scored on. And you know, I feel like it's just all about consistency and, uh, you know, no nights off and 
always working. You know, I feel like the the pace is I, I've got my pace has been a lot better from the start of the year. You know, uh, never quitting on plays or uh, all that. Not saying I was doing that before, but I, I feel like there's a lot bigger emphasis on the game now, and uh, you know, it's only helped my game. Last question for us, Brennan. Again, thank you yeah. so much for your time. What was your welcome to the pros moment this year? Did someone just <laughs> knock you on your butt? Did you like get a chirp and you were like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what a tax bracket is. Like what, what really made you realize your work people that were working to make a living? <laughs> I got one, but I can't say this one on the, on the, on the air, but uh, let me think. It was definitely at main camp this year. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of different, you know, stories I can say, but just, you know, being on the ice with like Jack Eichel and Shea Theodore, Mark Stone, all these guys, like, I mean, growing up, like I, you know, or in the summer I skate with, you know, a bunch of guys playing the NHL, but, you know, being a part of like a team environment was a lot different, you know, for the first time, like just watching Jack go down and shoot every puck bar down. Like, I was like, what is this? Like, it's easy for him, you know, watching Theodore takes two strides, go down the ice. So uh, I feel like just, you know, realizing how, how good all these top end players are uh, was my welcome to the league moment or welcome to pros. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll have to save that other story for when you retire. We'll call you in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Brendan, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and, and all the best the rest of the way through. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me. You could tell uh, Brendan Brisson was pretty well, you know, media trained and uh, as you would expect, right. In terms of not answering whether it was his welcome to the NHL moment or, the question I asked, the provocative question I asked him about if he knew anything before it happened and through his dad or whatever. So, yeah, he's definitely got a good head on his shoulders and is uh, more equipped to navigate the media waters than maybe the typical prospect would. Yeah, most players now are a lot more savvy um, overall, especially guys like him who have played high level world junior. They've played University of Michigan. By the time they come in, they're pretty polished. And then he's on another level beyond that having grown up. I mean, there's a certain comfort level, I think for him just in general with the media and, you know, players and everything, right. Like he's been around this, his, you know, really his whole entire life, you know, since he's actually pretty well-spoken. Yes. He is pretty well-spoken. He's not a robot and he's got a bit of personality. You can tell he, he's not, you know, putting all his cards on the table as, as no player does in an interview, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it was really enjoyable and I just liked the way he came about it. And I thought it was cool how he mentioned how it took him a bit to find out that you know, he was more fortunate than others in terms of like the fact that like, this isn't just for everyone. Cause he grew up with it. Like how, how else would you know, which could be the equivalent of whatever your father or mother is doing for work. Um, sure. And their friends are coming around, whatever it's like that, but on the global scale for the sport you love. So pretty, pretty crazy stuff there. It was good to have Brennan on and thanks again to him for coming on. So Let's get to our prospect of the week, a player that I've wanted to get to for quite a bit now, and they're popping off, and it's hard to avoid or ignore them. And that's Ty Karche of the Coachella Valley Thunder uh, Firebirds. Gosh, I always say Thunderbirds. Um, the 21-year-old left wing has got 47 points in 60 games. He's a rookie. He signed an ELC with Seattle this offseason after recording 79 points in 63 OHL games in the Sioux. He's developed quite well. So he's second in rookie scoring, but what's interesting is he's put up those point totals in a middle six, bottom six-ish role. He doesn't play top-line minutes, and he plays on a very good Coachella Valley team. 
But in the middle six usage he's had, he's been extremely effective. Here are some numbers on a season courtesy of Instat Hockey Data. His even strength points, primary points, is 2.84 per 60 minutes. That's the 99th percentile of the league this year among players that have played at least 200 minutes. Even strength goals, 1.68. That's also 99th percentile. And then his assists, 1.16, are the 95th percentile. Those are extremely efficient outputs, and it's worth mentioning. So now, Pat, I got to ask you, how is it that this undrafted free agent is tearing up the AHL? This is pretty crazy what he's doing and how efficient he's been. It is, and, you know, he's one of those players, like, and I, I it's one of my pet peeves in a way, but I understand it, that skating is, is one of the concerns for a player like that, right? And there's that sense that, well, you know, he put up numbers in the OHL and that's, that's all fine and well, but can, can he do that at the pro level? Right. And, right. and you know, I, I, I get, I get why that's a concern. Right. But I also believe that skating is something you can improve and that it is something with the right, with the right skating coach and the right, um, really right, the right system you're in. Um, it maybe won't never become one of your strengths, but it can certainly be something that is far less of a liability. And, you know, I think it really comes down. How do you view players? Like, do you, do you look at, well, what, what can't they do versus what can they do? Right. And I think that's a debate that you see a lot, you know, you know, both at the draft um, leading up to it, but also I think really, especially once you get into the development side, once you're, once you have your hands on that player and, and you're working with him every day, um, and you're seeing him through that whole six month, uh, you know, journey of the regular season. Right. You start to see those other elements of his game come through. Right. You know, so like really good sense, uh, playmaking sense, very good um, ability to get to the net. Um, and he's playing with, you know, for much of the season, some of the best talent in the league too. Right. Just in terms of that Coachella team. So you're, you're getting good matchups. So it's a little bit of everything I think for him, but um, for the, for the, for a player that was, an unsigned free agent and and yeah like, that's what i mean he, he didn't crack even if he cracked 100 points in 60 games or whatever in the ohl sure. overagers at least off the top of my head or i've thought no not the top of my head i thought about this all day i haven't done too much factual research in this but by my memory i can't remember overage guys coming into the in the a and doing that well right away first of all it's i find more so with the college free agents mm-hmm. they're more equipped to sort of make that impact right away. So it's definitely interesting to me that one, this guy is playing as well as he is. And two, that, you know, he even, the, the, the fact that he's even in the league and, and, and contributing is an accomplishment, I think, in terms of an undrafted signing and that he's playing this well. It's, it's, it's very, very impressive, I will say. And, and maybe with a different team, he would not have gotten that same opportunity, right? But yeah, with with Coachella, with Seattle, you don't have that many young pitch cycling in. You also have the veteran rule, so that, that benefits him there as well. So he got an opportunity there that he may not have gotten somewhere else, for example. So uh, now to his credit, he's taken it and run with it. And that's all you can ask a player to do. But um, it's an interesting debate, right? And you mentioned the college free agents. Well, a lot of times those guys are you know, 23, 24, a little bit more filled out physically. So there's that aspect. I do also, you know, I do think there sometimes could be a stigma with being an overager coming out of the CHL. And uh, there's a sense that, well, that's all fine. Well, you put up hundred points, 
in the OHL, but you were an overage player. So it's almost like it doesn't count. Right. And, you know, I think sometimes those guys really do face an uphill battle, you know, in, in overcoming that, uh, that stigma and, and getting an opportunity, right? Like, you know, Ty Felber a few years ago, go, you know, put up incredible numbers um, with, with uh, 67s, right? And it's never quite translated for him into the pro game. Justin Brazo was another one. I mean, absolutely in, in, you know, incredible numbers at the junior level. Um, didn't pan out for him with, with the Marlies. He ended up having to go to Providence and now it's starting to come together. So, you know, it's that, that, that old adage we've talked about a lot where um, young players all have a different timeline. And, and I, I think you are seeing a, a greater awareness of that in the development world that you can't put every player on the same um, time scale, but it is, there is an adjustment there just, you know, I think in that thinking and it's, it's a, it's a slow evolution is what I'm trying to say. It's funny. I, two things, one, given his production is yes, he's second in total points and he's only one point shy of Ishikov and, in, in, in Bridgeport, but mm-hmm. you would think that the, the, even though the per 60 metrics aren't publicly available um, as I just disclosed from Instat and those really won't go into deciding it. It almost makes it, it's like, it's a double-edged coin. Like, is he, is it more impressive, but he's producing that well? Or is it less because it's in less usage in a good team? Because, like, you look at those numbers and it's like, does that help his case? If, if we were voting for Rookie of the Year, would that help your case in voting for him? Or would it def- deter it? Well, I think I think a lot of times, traditionally in this league, I think because a lot of times the voters don't see all the teams on a regular basis, sure. given the schedule, you know, points, you know, just straight, straight up um, uh, points are what people go by, which, which I understand, but yeah, you do have to sort of go below the surface, look under the hood of his game a little bit more. And um, you do start to then see um, you know, what, what, you know, yes, he has some things work in his favor, obviously. Um, but on the other hand, he still is a rookie and he, you, all you can ask from a player, any player, whatever their situation is, that they maximize yeah. what they have. And he's done that, I think, and then some. So, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't hold that against him. And, um, yeah, I think he certainly made it made a case for himself here, you know, as a first-year player to at least, if not uh, win the award, I think at least merit some consideration. Quick, Let's move away from Karchi here, but just quickly, uh, who, who votes for – rookie of the year and these is there a committee or is it broadcaster like i actually have no idea uh generally it's uh coaches i believe um are part of it um is there an award that gms vote for or am i confused about the nhl that's you're thinking the nhl um then there's a media i mean there's not that many media in the hl but there's you know to the extent that there are they vote and uh and yeah um that's you know, just, you know, it's just kind of the way it is, but, um, sure. you know, I think for the most part, you know, when I see the awards each year come out, I don't, I don't see the pitch and see anything that's like way out of left field. I think they generally, they all make sense for the most part. And, um, you know, you, you can always quibble on, you know, is this guy first team all-star, second team all-star, is this, should he been in second in rookie voting? But I think for the most part, uh, the pitchers are uh, pretty spot on. For sure. Um, let's move on to the Grand Rapids Griffins. They're fighting for their playoff lives. And it's funny because you would think that a team like Detroit or an organization like Detroit that 
has long had a successful operation in Grand Rapids, would be doing better now in, in the midst of the Stevie Y rebuild, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know how you coined the phase that they're in right now. Mm-hmm. But they're six for the Central, 26-29-4 record. And their backs are against the wall. And they've got a couple key cogs that are in, with the big club. You got Simon Edvinson in Detroit, Alex Chason's with the Wings, Austin Cesarnik is on recall. Uh, Steven Camper was traded away. 10 points out of the playoffs with 10 games to go. Pat, what's the mood like in Grand Rapids? Like, where, where are they at? Are they thrown in the towel? Are they still balls to the wall? What's going on? Uh, definitely not thrown in the towel. So they were. Um... They were down two nothing last night uh, at home to Chicago after two periods, and it's one of those things you're you're looking at. And you're like, you know, they mostly have to win out the rest of the way, and you know, so you're down two nothing. You know, it's not looking great. They come up and they put up six goals in the third period, right? You know, right. it's like classic AHL moments. You know, where <laughs> you know, just when you think like everything's sort of making sense, there's something that completely comes, you know unexpected and, and you know here's a team that had um in the past nine games had 22 goals total and then they they put up six in one period right you know it gets a chicago team that's desperate in their own right um you know one of those teams um may make it that both of those teams are not going to make it so um you know it's interesting because i, I spoke with ben Simon, i spoke with chase pearson you know the player had one perspective the coach had a different perspective that, you know, so Chase Pearson said, you know, at least for like one night, that pressure that they've been under now for probably the better part of four to six weeks. Because, I mean, they, they've they been chasing this, even just trying to remain in contention now for a while. At least for one night, having some positivity, having a big third period like that, lifted some of that that tension, that pressure off them. So then I went to Ben Simon, I asked him the same question, and uh, he's like, Nah, well, not really. No, the pressure, the pressure is not lifting. Um, basically, until either we make it, or I guess you know, until you fall out of contention officially. But um, it's, it's just interesting to get that different perspective, and I, I think there's truth in both sides of it. But um, it, it it's um, it's one of those areas, right? Like of we always think of the playoff races, and we think of the teams that you know. Um, you know, are just more jockeying for position or, you know, are right there on the line, but there's always that, that next tier of teams that still have enough hope um, that the games mean a lot, but they have such a small margin for error that that pressure just really builds. But let me ask you, Pat, like are, are the Red Wings, if they don't make the playoffs, yeah, it's disappointing, but is it, did personnel underperform here or is that a matter of circumstance? Like how do you weigh that and, and separate the two from it being like, okay, we did the best we could and this is what happened and we did not do enough. Well, I think it started in net. So like UC Okinawa was brought over from, from Europe. He was expected to kind of be their, their anchor in net. Uh, that didn't pan out. He ended up actually going back to Europe. Um, Alex Nijelkovic came down and probably is really at this point the only reason that he's that the team is even still in contention. He was able right. to come in and solidify things a little bit, but now he just went back up to Detroit. So they've been having this this steady parade of players back and forth, like you know, you mentioned Charnik right now, Evanson, um, you know, back and forth uh, to Detroit. And Detroit's obviously, you know, had their own challenges this year. So um, yeah, I don't think the team quite ever came together in Grand Rapids. And I think in doing large part, just they were never together long enough, right? Like 
you were taking major major pieces of that lineup and and moving them back and forth uh, throughout the year, and you you know you look at the like you know the consistency of that lineup it just hasn't been there really almost from from, from day one. So yeah. I think the fact that they're even in contention at this point is something right. of a, a miracle given everything that's happened. Let's move on to our team of the week, the Minnesota Wild. Let I want to start this out by saying that there there was a time I think he was on the show even when Pat was was talking about like how Tim Army, who's the Iowa Wild head coach, is like a fount of knowledge. And I'm not saying I dismissed that. I like took it for what it was, and I kept that in mind when I was about to do the call. But you always know it's going to be a good one when the PR guy goes, how much time do you have? And I was like, oh, I, I got time. He goes, okay, well, he, he's a talker. He, he's a reporter's dream. It's like, okay. Yeah, so I, what I thought I had interviews, I wrote a story about Marco Rossi, really into it for the hockey news.com interviewed Rossi, Bill Guerin, Michael Murray, the GM, uh, Nick Patan. All those were about 10 uh, to 15 minutes or so. Army went on for 46 minutes. <laughs> and like, I didn't know if I was, and, and I checked it. I asked five questions. Yep. So I got to give a shout to Tim Army. Absolute legend. Um, he explained to me the game of hockey. Um, in, in 46 minutes, I had no idea. Like, he just is such an insightful guy, super as Marco Rossi told me, super intense. But mm-hmm. I think intense, like a negative connotation. When I think people call him intense, they mean he's very driven, committed, ex- high energy, excited, um, and detail oriented. So, I want to give it, I want to give a shout out there for Tim Arm because I think, you know, I think for what the wild have in him, um, he's a very good head coach in the AHL and, and clearly has a way of connecting with prospects. And for a reporter, he is brutally honest. So, yeah. team of the week, Minnesota Wild. Let's start with who I just mentioned, Marco Rossi. Reigning AHL player of the week. He's been red hot lately. 14 points in his last eight games. Tallies 46 and 45 this year. Very strong numbers. Went ninth overall in 2020. And what you're seeing this year, last year was a good player. He was a good player in the 63 games he played. But now what you're seeing is he's becoming a great player at this level. Rossi was, was, good, was fine in the NHL for 16 games, but he got just one assist. Mm-hmm. Now he's come down to Iowa in the hopes of him getting that offensive mojo. And what Army told you told me, and I put in the piece that was really interesting. You'll never, almost, you'll almost never hear a coach say this, but he said of the two things he wanted to work on was one to be you know more commanding the puck, which is fair. And two, rack up as many points as you can. You, mm-hmm. you would never think that you'd hear that, but with him, Ross is a responsible player, and they want to unlock that. And Army seems to have done that. I am very high on Marco Rossi, and I think what I've seen this year in this last three months further affirms that for me personally. Well, you know, first off, like good, good on him, right? Like he had that that really terrible COVID situation, missed the whole year, after missed the whole year, and you know, there's all this you know speculation around, you know, like kind of what's the long term effect of it, right? Yeah, you know, that was at 19 years old, right? So you have this player. I mean, you know, forget forget hockey, right? Like just life, life wise, like what's going on? I mean. And you just have this situation where is he going to be okay, right? Like, never mind what he'll do on the ice or not do on the ice. He managed to get healthy, come back. Um, he had a pretty good year last year in Iowa. Yeah, he did. Army made a good point, though, that he thought he, his stamina kind of trailed off the back yes. third. Yeah. Yes, uh, he made that point to me, too, um, at, at the end of last year. And it was – you know, it was one of the, I think, a concern. And then, you know, but I like the fact, like, it's almost, I don't want to say that he, he failed in Minnesota, but like he had a no. real setback. And, yeah. um, 
how does he handle that? Right. Well, he handled it great. He came back to Iowa. Uh, his first first game or two back, he put up uh, a big big performance and really hasn't slowed down since. And, and I also love the fact that like he's really invested in the team, right? Like he wears an big A. Um, like he's not just sometimes you'll get a prospect there and they're just kind of like passing through and they're they're there to work on their game and they don't one hundred percent really buy yeah. into to what the team's doing. He's done that. Like he is. He is fully there. Like he's committed. Um, totally. His attention is firmly in Iowa. And, and I love seeing that from a young prospect because like I said, you don't always see that, especially from those really high end first round type picks. And further to that, like army made a really cool point and it was honest was that most prospects you have mm-hmm. to sort of teach them the defensive responsibility. They, they have to think about it live. Yep. Or as he said, Rossi, it's all instinctual to him. And you mentioned Adam Beckman and, and Sammy Walker, who we'll get to in about a minute here. Two other, you know, good prospects for for the Wild, but they're still working on that, as mm-hmm. most prospects are. Rossi, you know, it's a rare case where you have a top ten talent who had the second most points per game in his draft year of OHL in the last decade, second to mm-hmm. Lee McDavid, being too responsible in his own zone that you have to kind of take the train. Like you have to kind of be like, dude, like you can you can be a bit selfish. That's mm-hmm. a coach's dream. And I think what you're seeing now is, is that payoff. Let's get to another big-time prospect for the Wild, Jesper Wallstadt, ranked eighth in the Hockey News Future Watch um, rankings that just came out in the 2023 edition. So the first half of the year, he had a 9 on 2 save percentage. I think this is when you mentioned Army actually on the show, Pat. You talked about there were some challenges and coming to a new country and whatnot. And in the second half of the year, in 15, his last 15 games, he's got a 920 save percentage. Scott Wheeler has him number one in his the athletic uh, pipeline rankings. The Wilder number one in his, and, and Wallstat is number one ahead of Rossi on that ranking. What makes everyone so hyped up about Jesper Wallstat, Pat? His maturity and his willingness to learn um, are the two biggest things that that stand out. I think both to his coaching staff and really to anyone that speaks with him. Like I was kind of blown away the first time I spoke with him. I'm like, this guy's 19, but he sounds like a 32 year old. 10 year NHL veteran, the way he looked at his game, um, you know, he's, he's self-critical and I don't mean that like, he's like, he's negative, but he's, he's very aware of what his, you know, where his weak spots are and what he needs to work on. And like, he, he's a sponge. He'll, he'll really soak up everything that Richard Bachman, the goalie coach in Iowa has to teach him. Like um, he's not just there again, he's not just there to pass through and kind of, well, you know, if, uh, if I, put up numbers. Great. If I don't, well, I'm a first round pick. I'm going to go up there anyway. Like, like he's, he plays with a little bit of desperation, right. Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, where he is. And, um, you know, there's no sense of entitlement there whatsoever with him. And, you know, like, yeah, we mentioned that he had those off ice, you know, like coming to new country, new style. Even he mentioned just even, I remember like speaking with him, like he he was actually getting his, uh, going for his driving test that day. And, you know, like, you know, like once he's been able to just get his, um, you know, day-to-day life squared away, like now I think you are starting to see that, uh, that calmness translate to the ice. And yeah, I, I would agree with those rankings uh, for my money, really, like he's impressive. Like he's already, he's already starting to move into that dominant mode mm-hmm. or, or tier um, as a really his first year over here. Like if you give him another year or so in Iowa, um I think you're gonna you're gonna see one heck of a goalie, and uh, I don't think it'll be too long before you see him full time in 
in Minnesota because yeah, he's he's a legit legit prospect. Let's go quickly before we sh- close off the show and this segment. Two guys here, Adam Beckham and Sammy Walker. Let's go. Let's go quicker here with these two. Adam Beckham, floor and ceiling. Where, where do you see his game at? Kind of what the ceiling is, the floor is. Uh, I mean, floor. I you know I think floor is the minimum. He's a bottom six in the NHL. Um, ceiling probably middle six. Um, plays a mature game. Um, that's the thing I really notice about him. Um, he's, he's really come along nicely, like, uh, in Iowa. And I think that's a theme overall with Minnesota and Iowa. And I think especially when you have someone like Tim Army there uh, to work with your players, that, that um, they're, willing to, they're willing to take their time with players. You don't see them rush. You know, like, and I, you know, sometimes I think that's where NHL teams – front offices get into trouble when, when there's that pressure either imposed by circumstances or just self-imposed uh, to rush yeah. players through. They don't do that in Minnesota now. And, uh, you know, that farm system for a long time was, was a big weak spot uh, for Minnesota, but mm-hmm. lately in the last, well, really since Tim army came in um, it's become uh, a real source of uh, strength. So like, you know, with Beckman, I love the IQ um again the skating is is the thing that's you know will be talked about but um again i think that's something that can be improved upon sammy walker a minnesota yeah. native played four years at minnesota how long till we see him back in his in his home well he's with the wild now but let's with let's the big team now, and now. Yeah. But um what's his season been like floor and ceiling too give me the floor and ceiling floor ceiling uh you know i think I think his floor is probably a bit lower than. Yeah, uh, probably yeah, bottom six ish. Like but, depth guy, depth um, guy. You mean right? Like kind of thirteen forward. Yeah, but uh, I think I think you could slot him in. You know, ceiling wise, mid middle six. Um, if if kind of everything breaks right for him, uh, real smart player, hardworking. Um, um, He's interesting because, like, he was drafted by Tampa um, as a seventh rounder. Um, but, you know, obviously opportunity arose to come sign with his hometown team. And I think you have to take that uh, very mature. Like, and, you know, like, you think about it, like, if you're captaining University of Minnesota and you're a hometown kid, right, yeah. like, and you do it for oh. three years, your maturity level is is high and it, it, if it's not high when you, when you start it'll certainly be by the time you're done right like and um so like yeah i times i spoke with him and you know certainly just you know his personality just comes through right away that like this is a guy that is is not your average young player like there's a maturity to him but both i think on and off the ice that that is really apparent yeah i think for sammy walker i i like a lot about his game i think my floor be kind of what he is now in the AHL for a long time, a good AHL player. I think the ceiling is, you know, fourth, third line role. Um, I don't see him breaking into a middle six per se, but I've been proved wrong many times and wouldn't be surprised I was again. For today's show, though, jam-packed one, and we're going to end it here. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you to Brendan Brisson for coming on. And, yeah, thanks to everyone for, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.